fear, the fear of rejection is a powerful thing. Shame can cripple a woman, can cripple a man, can have its effect on an entire family. Rejection, shame, the dread of humiliation of some sort. I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning again on this part of who Jesus is. Jesus is the shame breaker. Jesus has the power to break the shackles of shame or the fear of rejection that can hold us back and hinder us in the pursuit of our destiny in the Lord. And Jesus understands how powerful the fear of rejection, the pain of shame can be. And I believe the word is amazingly and wonderfully and powerfully clear as to the Lord's intent to set captives free, set us free from the fear of rejection, from the pain of shame. Now, I want us to look at a man. There, there are two main characters in the New Testament that are examples of this, of how the Lord sets the captive free from the fear of rejection, from the pain of shame. And those two characters would be Simon Peter and the Apostle Paul. And I want to ask you to take your copy of the Scripture this morning and go with me to the Gospel of Luke, first of all, and um, it will be Luke chapter 22. We read this last week, <clears throat> but we need to read it one more time. And rather than as we read this, us saying, Oh, Simon Peter, how you blew it. What in the world were you thinking? How could you not have gathered yourself up and, and been a better man, been a bigger man in this setting? Before we start down that lane, I want you to stop and think about who is the one person or what is the one situation that can cause you to just automatically go into some type of fetal position. <laughs> you just recall. It's like it's your worst nightmare to think about having to deal with that or face that situation or person. It was the might of the fear of rejection that somehow had moved into Simon Peter and caused all those years, three years of listening to Jesus talk, walking with him where he went, seeing what he did, and being used in some cases to do some of the same things that Jesus would do. Jesus sent out the 12 with his authority, then sent out the 70 with his authority to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out the demons. Three years. 
He had heard all the words Jesus had spoken. He had, he had benefited by the example of, of God in the flesh. And then we find him here. Luke 22, verse 54. And having arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. The high priest, that house, it would have been the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. His accent gave him away. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Simon Peter the prisoner of the fear of rejection, wanting to avoid being shamed by those he looked up to, by those he had grown up being taught to respect, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, those strictly observant to the moral law, the, the law of Moses, the Old Testament law. They were his spiritual fathers, in a sense. They, they were the ones that all of his life he had been taught to respect. The fear of their rejection. Even though he knew Jesus, he he knew Jesus. He had walked with him and heard him, been with him for all of those years, but, but somehow it was the fear of being rejected by those that at least in this moment had a bigger voice into Simon Peter's life than even Jesus did. Now, now once again, before we start skinning Simon Peter, 
have we ever found ourselves in a place like that where the fear of being rejected by a person or the fear of facing a situation again that might turn into our rejection can cause us to recall and not trust and and not really cling to who we know Jesus to be. So go with me now to the, to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 4. Same Simon Peter, same faces. Now we're going to read the names of the ones of the high priestly lineage that were, were gathered and, and they, are, they, they are calling Simon Peter now before them for the purpose of interrogating him and finding out where did this power come from that caused this, this beggar man to be, to be healed. It must have been in some senses of the word Simon Peter's worst rejection nightmare. Oh, no, not those men. They were were mad at Jesus before. They were after Jesus before. And Simon was afraid of getting in trouble just because he was connected with Jesus. Now Jesus has been crucified at their hands, buried and and raised again. But now now it's, it's not directly Jesus it's indirectly Jesus, but it's, it's directly Simon Peter. So let's read this account. Acts chapter 4. And as they, that would be Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 a few days or weeks later, So the total of the church exploding now, 8,000 new believers in Jerusalem. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them, who's that? That would be Peter and John, thank you very much. And when they had placed them in the center of their circle, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Simon Peter's worst rejection nightmare. The last time he was anywhere near Caiaphas, at Caiaphas' house, he had denied that he even knew Jesus, that he didn't know the man three times. 
Now what's fixing to happen? I want to just suggest to you an imaginary statement or two that might have been going off in Simon Peter's heart. Facing his fear of rejection to the living Christ, to the Jesus whom he knew was alive from the dead because he had seen him, because he had heard his voice. Simon Peter to that living Jesus, to himself, but in the presence of all of these potential rejectors, I am who you say I am. I have what you say I have. Now, I want you to repeat those two lines back to me as the good choir that you are, robed and all. Say this with me. I am who you say I am. One more time, all together. I am who you say I am. And then this line, I have what you say I have. Let's say that together. I have what you say I have. One more time. I am who you say I am. And I have what you say I have. Have you ever learned how to talk to yourself? (laughs) David talked to himself. Jeremiah would talk to himself. The Apostle Paul would say, in my flesh dwells no good thing. He would say that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I want to suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that one of the ways that God may use to break shame off of you, to demolish the fear of rejection so that you surge in the direction of his destiny for your life is that he will teach you the benefit of confessing who you are to him and confessing what he has given to you to use. I am who you say I am. Simon Peter could very well have been looking out at those faces, circling him, knowing he knew how they felt about his Jesus. He knew the threat that Jesus represented to them in a number of ways, not the least of which was financial. When Jesus went in and a couple of different times just just cleaned house in the temple, upturning tables and chasing the money changers out and just cutting in at, in on the, the high priest's system of stealing from the people. He knew the level of their hatred for Jesus. And he would be facing them not as a related appendage to the focus of their anger, that being Jesus, but now 
Jesus is out of the way. Jesus, and they are seeing him as the enemy. What's he going to do? I want you to look along. Let's, let me read verse 7 again, and then we'll go into verse 8 and following. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, what they did was the Lord gave them the power in the name of Jesus to raise up a man who hadn't been able to function, and God gave him his strength back. Silver and gold have I none, Simon Peter said. But such as I have, I give it to you. <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man positioned in the temple, and there would be hundreds if not thousands of people passing by that man, and they knew him. But now they see that crippled man walking and leaping and praising God and the crowd in the temple gathered around to figure out what in the world happened and that was when Simon Peter, his second sermon after the day of Pentecost, stood up to explain how it happened. Because of the crowd, the religious leaders were threatened so that's how Simon Peter and John ended up being arrested and called before this tribunal. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. Now hold on just a second. Hold your spot right there. Let me let me just point you in the direction of something that Simon Peter might have been sure hoping Jesus meant when he said it. Jesus speaks in Luke 12, verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Well, before Simon Peter knew what it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he wasn't even going to be a candidate for this verse because he wasn't ever going to be hauled in before tribunals. He'd be denying and checking out and hiding under a bush somewhere. But when whatever this is, whatever this was that happened to him, that Luke will describe as Simon Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, something happened to the man. His shoe size didn't change. His eye color didn't change. He didn't get a whole different personality. But something unexplainably supernatural happened to Simon Peter, the fisherman, on his way to becoming the known and recognized leader of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I'm going to just kind of be messing up the reading of this text as we go through it because I, I, I just need to say some things as we go along. Some folks will say, well, 
Well, that but good for Simon Peter. He got whatever that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He he got that because he 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 sure needed it. And I'm you know and I'm sure with all that was going to be before him, he he was going to need a little extra help. As if that is to say, you don't need some help. As if that is to say, I'm doing pretty fine, Lord. I don't need you to encourage me. I don't need you to help me make decisions. I don't need you to help me live in such a way that I'm not shackled by the fear of rejection from anybody or anything. I am a free man. I'm a free woman. The Spirit of the Lord has set me free. I'm sure that there are a lot of folks in this room who said, I don't need that kind of help. Good for Simon Peter. Well, for the few that may not be in that category, the rest of that small little bit of us in this room, they would say, oh, Lord, whatever in the world or out of this world you did for Simon Peter, I need me some of that. I don't care. I don't care what it's called. I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not worried about that. But, Lord, if you can take a man who was scared of his shadow in the presence of powerful people that he perceived to be powerful. And you can take that man and you can infuse him with something that is of you that can break the shackles and set him free to run hard after you. Then I want that. I want that. I want that. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well. Now you watch these words. Where, where in the world did Simon Peter get the gumption to talk like this? Let it be known to all of you and I'm sure he was looking into their faces. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone, Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now you look at this next verse. I'm not fussing at you. I'm just wanting you to, don't, not, I don't want anybody to miss this. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now, as they observe the confidence of Peter and John, let me give you a little working definition of that Greek word translated English, confidence. It, it has at its root 
the meaning of assurance. Not, not cockiness, not cockiness, but some kind of settled, deep sort of assurance that expresses itself in bluntness, um, openness, directness, the old English word circumlocution. No circumlocution. In other words, no talking around the bush. No, 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 no speaking in pastel terms. It's, it, it's all bold colors. It's all specific. It's all clear that flows from a heart that somehow has some settled assurance that is not tied to the circumstances in the room as they observe the confidence they recognize these two <laughs> as having been with Jesus. There was something about the real literal Jesus that gave off that same kind of confidence, that gave off that same kind of assurance, that exhibited the freedom from the fear of rejection, that expressed the truth that shame does not own me. And having seen the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go outside of the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. Folks, that, that, is, that is still the warning of the devil's crowd today. You can call on Buddha. You can call on Muhammad. You can praise Osama bin Laden. You can do whatever. But don't you dare speak the name. I'm going to tell you. It is no different in America today than it was in Jerusalem in that day. The most feared name in the spirit realm is the name of Jesus Christ. You, you can talk about anything. He'll say, you can talk about anything, just don't say anything else in that name. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness. Amen. Don't, don't, don't speak anymore in that name. Because some way or another, even the unbelievers in the Sanhedrin recognized the power in that name. They didn't agree with it. They didn't like it. But they weren't going to deny the power. Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute. And when they commanded them, when they summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them. Now, you know, you know, the old Simon Peter, if he had even gotten backed into that courtroom on that day. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I won't say another blooming word. I won't. Not, not out of these lips. But look at what he says. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. In other words, 
Something had happened in the understanding of Peter and John for it to be clear to them, you are not God. You may have authority. You may have the crown of authority and the scepter of authority. You may quote the scripture. You may observe the holy days. But you do not represent God. So if you make a, have us make a choice of whether we bow down and agree with you that you're talking for God or we're going to continue to speak the name of Jesus, you're going to have to make that judgment. Then he goes on to say, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Powerful things going on here. Something that you can't lecture into somebody. You can't convince somebody just by trying to talk them into it. There has to be some sort of supernatural infusion of truth. Of the difference between what is the heart of God and what is not the heart of God. Jesus would say in Acts chapter 1, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. So what does it mean? What is he talking about when he says that you shall be my witnesses or you shall be witnesses of me? What was it just that they were, we are, uh, assigned the task of, of going through the, the line items of who Jesus was and what he did and that he's been raised from the dead and all of that? Certainly that has to be a part of it, the gospel message. Died for our sins, according to the scriptures, buried, raised again on the third day. Absolutely. But it's far more than that church. The empowering of the church to be a witness of Jesus means that we are empowered to represent Jesus. Represent his perspective in situations. Represent his heart in situations. Speak of him, tell of what he did. But as a witness of Christ in this place, in this, in this situation, they were called to not back off on the authority of his name. But they were also there representing the compassion of God for a man who was broken and who was medically, physically, seriously infirmed. It, it was as if the Sanhedrin, that group, had just gotten used to walking by the man. But the Jesus inside Peter and John saw the man. Silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, I'm giving to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. The name means the person, but all that the person represents. The authority of the, per of the person. The position of the person. The character of the person. In all that Jesus is, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, raised him up, and the scripture says he was healed from the, from the head down. But so, so they had, Peter's saying, you, you tell us, you're telling us, you are, am I reading your lips? You are telling us not to speak anymore? In the name of the one who had power to do things that you just walked by and got used to seeing, 
But he in his heart, Jesus is in his heart, had the longing to set this captive free and to give strength to his legs and give him his life back. You asking us to choose you over that one? Never. We can't stop speaking of the things that we've both seen and heard. Oh, no, here we're going back. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? The book of Acts hadn't been written yet, so he couldn't copy the Peter to be. You know, he, it hadn't been written yet. Where did it come from? It came from the power of the spirit of the living Jesus. Coming not only to take up residence in Peter, but to infuse Simon Peter with power. Now, I, I just, I'm, I'm not trying to pick a fight with anybody. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to make anybody unnecessarily mad. Unnecessarily. But there's just a need to challenge this theology. In the light of the New Testament, in the light of moving from the Gospels into Acts and the Acts into the writings of Paul and others. Paul would say that here is the gospel in which we stand. 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day. Paul says that is the gospel, that is the grace of God in which we stand. Our future is secure because our sins have been forgiven. The witness of the Spirit showing us those truths and bringing us to faith in those truths of who Jesus is, our present possession. But here's the point. All of those 120 who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost already had those conclusions about Jesus. Because they had watched him suffer and die. They understood that it was Isaiah 53 that he was fulfilling. They knew that he has been raised from the dead. But Jesus said, you wait in Jerusalem until you are filled with what the Father has promised. In other words, your home is heaven. I am your Savior. But there is a dimension of power in order for you to be supernaturally enabled to be a witness of me that you don't have yet. You're a believer in me. If you died today, you'd go to heaven. You just don't walk in power yet. So he says to that group, listen, I'm challenging you to check it with a scripture if, you just, if that just all of a sudden blows your way. It was to that group of believing in Jesus for their forgiveness of their sins that he spoke that word in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. For the purpose of what? For enduing you with power. For taking somebody like Simon Peter, who is a type of all of us in certain settings, and moving Simon Peter, the believer in Jesus, the trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of his sins, but scared, but bound, 
But the fear of rejection ruling him to move from there over to Acts 4. There is only one way to explain the inner transformation and is, is that Simon came to be filled with the spirit of the living Jesus. Jesus would say prior to the, to the cross, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper, the spirit cannot come. But I will send you, I'll petition the Father to send to you another helper. And he, when he comes, will teach you things you didn't know, guide you into truth, bring to my remember, your remembrance the things that I've said to you. And a whole list of things, a plethora of things that Jesus said that the spirit would do. The amazing thing is that he says, if, you, if this drops 18 inches, something's going to go. Your socks inside your boots are going to roll up and down. Get ready. Get ready. Jesus said, that can't happen now. I have to go to the Father in order for the Spirit to be sent. That meant that when Jesus ascended to the throne, back into the presence of the Father. He was reclothed with all of his divine attributes, with all of his authority, which he had in heaven before he emptied himself, Philippians 2, and came to be born a baby to the Virgin Mary. He would not be sending back the spirit of the crucified Jesus. He would not be sending back the spirit of the humbled Jesus. Jesus, of the weakened Jesus, who would be sent back would be the spirit of the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords who knows no champion other than himself. Satan arrayed everything. The demons of hell did everything to keep him in the grave, but the grave was emptied. He rose triumphant from the grave, and it was from that place. And he says, I will send to you another helper. But the word for another there does not mean another of a different kind. It means another of exactly the same essence. My physical presence will be taken, but there will be another presence exactly like me whom I will send. And on the day of Pentecost, the rushing mighty wind, you remember that story? They were in the upper room and the Flames of fire and the, and the wind touched down on each one of them. And it says that they were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with this evidence of the Lord's presence. And they began to speak. They began to speak with languages that they didn't know but could be understand by the, understood by the people who were out there. We get all wound up around that thing. Well, you're going to know that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit if you've got some kind of language that comes out of your mouth. I just want to say to you, you can't track that every place in the book of Acts. That every time there was the filling of the Holy Spirit, there was automatically some kind of gift of languages or tongue. Ecstatic you, just, you, can't, you can't track it every place in the book of Acts. But here's the thing you can track. Oh, my goodness. Here's the thing you can track. Same thing that the Sanhedrin saw they, when they observed Peter and John. A confidence. A sense of assurance that Jesus is really who he says he is and that Jesus has the ability to do whatever it is that he chooses to do. There was a confidence 
in the person of Jesus. There was a confidence in what he can do to rescue a life and forgive sins and change and renew a whole heart and a whole destiny. Now, folks, I, here, here's, here's where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a... I'm a pastor, and Alamo City is our home, and it's, it's where we love to be. So, so this isn't about trying to get some following and, you know, and, and march on the Vatican or something. This isn't, this isn't about any of that. I'm looking into the faces of working people, professional people. Some have, you know, have hourly jobs. Some run your own company. Some, some of you work for the man. But here's what I'm going to tell you. The same Holy Spirit who infused Simon Peter with power that resulted in an assurance of who he was to God and who the Heavenly Father was to him, that resulted in him being free. He didn't have to look at their faces and shrivel up. Because somehow he was just knowing that even if they don't ever accept him, there's no issue with the acceptance this way. I am who you say I am. A child of God. Paul makes it very clear, and he, he, he hammers away at this. Seems like in each of the, of the introductions to each of his letters, he, he keeps going over and keeps going over and keeps going over for the Christians. Here's who you are. Here's who you are. The world will not see you this way, but this is who you are. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Adopted because you were wanted. Picked out. Chosen, lavishly forgiven. Ephesians 1, the grace of God poured out upon us lavishly, more than we would ever need for one bath. It's a bathtub word. His mercy, his grace, lavishly poured out on us. Peter and Paul, and Peter would do the same thing in First and Second Peter, reassuring the believers, this is who you are. Chosen by, you didn't find God, he found you. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want to leave you with, with something that I just want you to spend a little time with when you get out here. I want you to find Romans chapter 8. If the boldness was anchored in assurance, settled assurance, and what was the assurance? Look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption by which, adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. 
the English cultural American equivalent to Abba would be the words Daddy or the words Papa. You're not going to be using the term Abba or Daddy to the Heavenly Father if there is any kind of a sense in your heart that you are not accepted by Him, that you are not forgiven by Him, that you are not loved by Him, here, here, and it's repeated twice in Galatians 4 is the second place where Paul comes back with it. He says, there is a work of the Spirit going on in the lives and the hearts of God's people who are receiving and experiencing the work of the Spirit in their lives in fresh measure. And it is the work of this crying going off. It's the crying of Daddy. It's not the cry of a distant shout. It's the cry of a child for help. The cry of a child for rescue. The cry of a child for supply. The cry of a child even of celebration. But it's the cry of a child to the Father. Run back to Acts 4. What was the anchored, settled part of their hearts that caused there to be such confidence. There was a sense of their spirit resonating with the spirit of the living Christ, able to say, Abba, Father, help me, Daddy. Help me, Lord. I'm facing something that I've never faced before. I'm in the middle of something that I don't know how to get myself out of it. Abba, I, I can't do that justice. But the cry of the Spirit inside your heart toward the Father is not the cry of, will you, will you just suck it up? Will you just get over this? Will you just, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Try harder. Climb more. Deal with it. That's not the cry of the Spirit. That's the cry that can go off inside us, the old soul of the fallen flesh. But here's the cry of the Spirit. Understanding and recognizing that we are full of needs. We are a perpetual depository of helplessness. We need our Father's help. And when you know that you can cry out and it's prompted by the Spirit, you didn't make it up. You're just going with what's working inside you. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. His help comes in the person of the Spirit strengthening us. I can do all things through the one who is giving me the strength. That's the Apostle Paul. Present tense. Giving me. Not gave it to me. I don't, I don't need, need four-year-old strength. I need strength for whatever this mess is I'm facing today. Help me, Father. Help me, Father. And it is the coming of the Spirit, it is the flow of the Spirit that results in us having what we need in those cases. Now, now here you can find it and see it again in Galatians chapter 4, 
where, where Paul writes again, in order that he might redeem those who were, this is verse 5, under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus lived his earthly life, crying out, Abba, Father. Help me, Father. Give me what I need, Father. Show me what I need to do. Show me your will and I'll do it. Strengthen me, Abba, Father. See, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. This, this other voice, if you're going to really be broken from the fear of rejection and the pain of shame removed, there is going to be operating, and these always, it's, it's always present active tense in these verbs. It is the voice of the Spirit perpetually crying out inside you, taking you to the Father. Abba, Father, help me, Father. Understanding that I wouldn't have the right to ask him for anything if he was still mad at me. If there was still some hoop I was supposed to jump over in order to earn his approval. That's settled. Hallelujah. That's settled. And I have the right. In fact, I just flow with what works within me. Lord, help me. Abba, Father, help me. Okay, so in case anybody's wondering, so how do you get that to happen to you? Anybody wondering that? How, 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 how do you get the filling of the Spirit? I know Jesus is my Savior. I believe if I die, I'll go to heaven. But boy, this, this book of Acts kind of power that, that we read about here and this, this thing about, about rejection, not having the ability to hold him any longer, the fear of failure or, or whatever it would be to hold him any longer. I need some of that. I mean, I don't need just a little bit. I need the full dose times 10. Find, if you will, Luke chapter 11, and we'll finish with this. You need to know this verse is in your Bible. And, and it may be that as time goes on, you will wear this page out in your Bible. You'll come to it once, and you'll come to it again, and you'll come to it again and again and again because you can't wear out the promise of God. Here's how it starts. Jesus is speaking. Verse 9, Luke 11, verse 9. And I say to you, ask, present, active, and ask, and keep on asking, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock, and keep on knocking, and it shall be open to you, for everyone who seeks and keeps on, or asks and keeps on asking, receives. He who seeks, same thing, finds, and to him who knocks, same, it shall be open. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a copperhead instead of a fish, will he? That's the South Texas version of snake. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he is asked for an egg, 
he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Now then watch the transition. Here, here, here's where he was going. Here's where Jesus was going with each of those repetitive statements of asking, seeking, knocking, and the answer and the promise. that it, Here's where he's going. And, and he throws in there, uh, what you ask for is what you'll get. The Father won't be evil to you in his responding. He won't cheat you in your receipt. If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now you could go back to Acts chapter 4 and you could read what follows Simon Peter and John's release from the trial before the Sanhedrin. And you will find that they went straight to their companions, they went to prayer, and the scripture records that the place where they were shaken, where they were gathered, were shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. Filled on the day of Pentecost, but because of the drain, because of the pull, the stress of the world, the intensity of what they were going through, the Lord knew they needed to be filled up again. So he filled them again. That's why this business, well, I checked in with the Lord three years ago. I surrendered my business to the Lord, you know, 30 years ago. I, 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 gave, him my, I gave him my marriage, all that. And, and, and then just assuming that all of the pieces that have come since then, you have enough to handle on your own. Or we get to thinking that the Holy Spirit filling is only about church stuff. It's only good when you've got your nose in the Bible or you've got your hands in the air. Praise him. Jesus will say, you let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Anywhere you go. The availability of the power of the Spirit to enable you to present good works, excellent works, fitting works, solution works that cause people to give glory to the Father is a fitting and acceptable expression of the Holy Spirit working through your life. I, I did, did, did anybody hear that? So, so if it's so, so if it's a financial realm, if it's a professional realm in another category, if it's a personnel thing, if it's family, if it's health, if it's whatever, Lord, I need your spirit to fill me with the understanding of what it is that you want me to do. Oh, Lord, you, you know, you know me. You, you know how the fear of that situation or that kind of situation or that person or that type of person, you know what that can do to me. I'm going to stay in a fetal position with Simon Peter in Caiaphas' courtyard. That's where I will live unless some way or another you do in me what you did for that man. And Simon Peter will say, as he concludes Acts chapter 2 in his message of Pentecost, this promise that you see, this, this, this promise of the Father, the coming of the Spirit upon men and women in all ages, it's for you. 
and it's for your children. And everyone the Lord calls unto himself. Folks, if you can teach your child early and we can relearn it and hold on to it as adults, that whenever I need help, I've got the permission to call on the helper. That was the name Jesus gave him, the helper. Or we can just choose to just think we can handle it or that we're supposed to handle it and just keep running our nose into one brick wall or falling off another cliff instead of before we take one blooming step. Lord, will you help me know what it is I'm supposed to do here? And will you give me the strength to act in such a way that you are honored, that your power is seen in my life, your strength is seen in my life, your freedom is seen in my life. Amen. So be it. Now that, so, so we've got a, we, we have a choice, brothers and sisters. We have a choice. Just like the folks that the writer of Hebrews addressed. He said, the word was preached to you. The only problem is, as you heard it, there wasn't faith in your heart connected to it. You heard it, but you didn't believe it. Or maybe you believe generally it was true, but this isn't about general application. This is about personal appropriation. I got it, brother. Thank you. I'm not sure exactly how that happened. I may need to give me another Bible, but that's okay. Personal appropriation. When, when he says ask, that means it's asking on the basis of a need. When it's seek, it means asking on the basis of something you know you lost. If it's knock, it's because a circumstance has arisen and it looks like there's something on the other side of that door that you can't get to because the door is locked. God uses needs to create a heart that seeks him. And when we seek him with the privileges of a child, of his child, we have the right to rejoice in the fact that he's promised the helper to his children. Now, folks, you can come in here and we can, we can get blessed and, 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 you know, singing and praising and we hear stuff, but, but this, this only works if you step into it in the morning or Tuesday afternoon or when you're by yourself and nobody's there. Lord, help me. Help me. Thank you, Father, for these written stories in your word that give us such encouragement, such direction and instruction. Lord, I ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. I ask you to fill your people to overflowing with your spirit for the accomplishing of your purpose through our lives. And I thank you that you have us placed in all kinds of different occupations and all kinds of different geographic locations. You just spread out the opportunity for your name to be praised and your glory to be seen. Help us, Lord. Help us to want help from you. Help us to seek our help from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.